We really think European butter from France is the best butter. And our friend, the expert baker and best-selling cookbook author David Leibovitz agrees. Check out our recent episode with David to find out how he cooks with quality butter. And for recipes, tips, and cooking advice, go to tasteeurope.com. Two of my closest friends were Italian and one was Filipino, and I grew up eating in their homes too. And that's really where I learned about the beauty of a home-cooked meal and eating dinner around a table. You're listening to The Taste Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Rodbard. What does a cookbook editor actually do day-to-day in the year 2022? It turns out more than you could ever imagine. On this episode, we catch up with our old friend Raquel Pelzel. She's the editorial director at Clarkson Potter and has authored more than a dozen cookbooks of her own. It is clear that Raquel has tremendous respect for her authors, which include favorites like Eric Kim, Rick Martinez, and Claire Saffitz. And we find out how she allows her author's voice to shine through in the edit. We also talk about the way she edits a recipe, which goes back to her time working at the Demanding Cooks Illustrated. This is such a great conversation about making and loving cookbooks. I hope you enjoy it. Raquel Pelzel, welcome to the Taste Podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here with you. Yeah, in the building we share, our offices are here. You're in the house. You're the editorial director of Clarkson Potter. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, you've been there since 2017. Yeah, five years. Five years just a couple days ago. So, like, let's just jump in about the job because I think a lot of times um, these cookbooks are made um, and, you know, our listeners love them and and they buy many of them, but they don't necessarily understand or or maybe haven't been, um, you know, haven't been given the opportunity to to learn about the behind the scenes of mm-hmm. a cookbook process. So so what what is your role? Like what what does it entail? Yeah, well, I'm the editorial director of cookbooks. So um, you know, I mean, I think what's really awesome about Potter is we're a small team and we all kind of do everything. So, you know, I I sign authors and edit their books and help get them published. I mean, you know, and and that's pretty much it. It's really, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, that, that's in a broad stroke. Very um, broad stroke. Yeah. Because I think when you say you sign in, you know, it, it's about, um, you know, pinpointing what's going to be interesting to readers in two to five years, right? You have to look into yeah. the future. Yeah. And, you know, I also think, I mean, just, you know, when you're a, so I was a freelancer for 20 years, most of my career before I came to Potter. Um, and actually, I was a Potter author before yeah. I, was a, I worked here, which is kind of fun. Um, so, yeah, we're looking, you know, Potter's a very commercial publisher. So we're trying to figure out um, what the next big ideas are going to be and who are the right people to tell those stories and how we can sell those stories to home cooks. And that's pretty much, you know, mm-hmm. the... The magic combination. Um, I like to think that our authors are opinionated and <laughs> voicey and have a very strong vision for not only what they want to say, but what they want their book to be. And um, we're really good, I think, at meeting authors at that point of, of, you know, helping them create something that's really representative of who they are 
as a cook and as a person and, um, you know, the kind of book that they want to have out in the world that's different from other books. You know, mm-hmm. all of our books are, are – they're all beautiful and they're all quite different from one another. Absolutely. And and just three authors that come to mind all have been guests on the show, um, you know uh, – Eric Kim, mm-hmm. uh, Rick Martinez, Claire Saffitz, like three amazing authors that have distinct voices. You as their editor on these books, you, you've, you've been able to channel their voices, right? Help them channel, I guess you could say. I've been told I'm a heavy uh, – okay, so I – okay. <laughs> you've been told you're a heavy edit. No, yeah. I mean, listen, <laughs> I've been told I'm a heavy edit yeah. and, you know, listen, that, that can be good or bad, but – I, uh, from Buffer, I, I get into yeah, I, I, I get into the weeds on on the books that I work on because I approach them because I was a writer yeah. and I am a writer and I approach them from the point of view of not only someone who loves to cook but someone who you know I went to culinary school I, I worked you know in restaurants and in kitchens since I was fifteen years old. Um, so I, I kind of like to poke holes in things so no one else can. And I I also have such respect for an author's voice and I'm not here to change it. I'm here to help them hone what they want to say and how. Love what you, you know? love what you're saying. I, we we collaborate on lasagna, which I, I forgot to mention in the intro because I, I think uh, you know I, I saw your edits at work. You were editing Anna and I when that book came out, and you know there is no better recipe editor than yourself. I, oh, I, stop! <laughs> no, I mean it. Like you're a great recipe editor, and listen, if if a recipe doesn't work, you know it's not really the author's fault fully; it's the editor's fault too because it's definitely uh, goes through a process. But I feel like also you know preserving voice and making sure the the, the author gets. Um, their say in the head note and in the front matter is is part of it too. So how do you, um, when you're editing these books, how do you let the author's voice um, come through? Is it is there like a special sauce, pun intended? <laughs> well, you know, sometimes, so uh, I, I usually ask for some sample material before the book deadline so yeah. I could get a feel for, for their voice. I mean, beyond what the you know, an author usually writes a cookbook proposal, and that's what we base, you know, whether or not we want to buy the book off of. Um, so I have some idea of what their voice and, and the direction of the book is going to be. Um, but then I get some sample material, and, you know, we take it from there. And a lot of times I ask a lot of questions, just like when I used to write books, you know, and I used to ask the the chefs or, you know, the cooks who I was working with about, you know, well, what about this point or what about this or do you want to mention this or yeah. or why are you, you know, you put this in the recipe. I think you should mention it in the head note. And, you know, sometimes the answer to 75 percent of my questions is no. <laughs> and that's <laughs> totally fine. But it's my job to ask them. Yeah. And I kind of think at the beginning of every new author relationship, I should tell people, hey, you know, I'm going to ask you a lot of questions and it's OK to say no. Uh, and sometimes, you know, what I'm asking may sound stupid or it may sound like, why is she asking me this question? It's so obvious. But I kind of figure like if I have the question, then there might be 20 other people who have the same question, no matter how basic or silly it might seem. Great, great, great statement. I think it's important to have that open dialogue with the, with the writer having that relationship. I love that. You've mentioned just some of the books you're collabor- you've collaborated on and you've mentioned we'll talk about some of the books that you have upcoming in the fall. But I want to get into your history because you grew up in Chicago, um, which is such a great food city. Yeah. Uh, my God, my, my father's <laughs> grew up in Rogers Park, as you did, yeah. north, north side. How did food in Chicago kind of inform you as a as a writer and an editor today? 
Oh, my God, completely. So um, when I was little, you know, my parents divorced when I was really young, and I would see my dad Friday nights, and that was our night together, and I would spend the night at his house, and we would always go out to eat somewhere because Friday was the end of the week, and while, you know, I grew up celebrating uh, Jewish traditions culturally, I didn't go to temple or anything like that. My dad, you know, is a ex-kibbutznik mm-hmm. got actually kicked out of his kibbutz <laughs> and uh, he's a troublemaker and um, so Friday night was like a special moment for you know, the end of the week kind of Shabbat you know um, and we would go out somewhere special and every Friday my dad would say where do you want to go what do you have a taste for and you know he lived on Devon Avenue on the north side of Chicago, wow. which is an amazing. What you know, a cool street! It's like yeah. almost. It's like you could travel the world from from South east Asia. To west. Yeah, yeah. You know, all over the place. Yeah. It's it's yeah. There was a, a Indian place called Gandhi. We used to go to. There was a Pakistani goat like curry house that had goat on the menu, and we would go there sometimes. There was my dad's favorite spot, which was called Hash Shalom. It was this Jewish Israeli restaurant run by a, a, a Moroccan-Israeli guy and his wife, and they're like family. Um, we would go, and this is we, there's a Korean place on the block. Like, so this is just all in Devon. And mm-hmm. then there's a Greek place we used to go to. Um, there was a Jewish deli we sometimes went to. Uh, I remember having sushi in the 80s with my dad. Like we would just, you know, Friday yeah. nights was our night to explore the world at dinner and while I was sitting there with him uh, my dad was a big talker and I loved hearing his stories about all the trouble he would get into (laughs) or he got into when he um, was on the kibbutz and uh, you know my dad in World War II my dad actually was in an orphanage um, because his mom was sent to a workers camp and his dad was sent to Siberia Mm. and you know like just all these stories and of course he didn't have food and grew up hungry and mm-hmm. so the stories were usually about food yeah um and so that was kind of my introduction to just i think falling in love with food storytelling and my dad was just so happy telling me these stories mm-hmm. and you know all the while of course we're eating delicious food at some restaurant so it was like a, a dual combination an appreciation of restaurant culture and and food um, and my mom was like the worst cook in the world. So. Wow, that's surprising. So I'm oh, curious. Yeah. But you've got you've got a father who's taking you out, and you're thinking restaurant culture is so important. But you know, you're so grounded in the home, yeah. home cooking. So your mom was a, a bad cook. Funny. So what were you doing any cooking, or did that come later in culinary school? Yeah, it kind of came a little bit. I mean, I used to cook for myself sometimes because yeah. if I didn't, then you know. I didn't have anything to eat. Yeah. It's like it's like tombstone pizza then, basically. Totally ate a cooking, lot of tombstone. Which is dope. I Hot love tombstone. Pockets. Oh yeah. Oh, we could go at Crack yeah. and Oat brand. Were you in that? No. As a kid. I was into geriatric cereals <laughs> yeah. as a kid. But just me. I didn't get into those until I moved to New England. Okay. <laughs> Great nuts. Um so when I was in um high school, uh, you know, my mom and I have a challenging relationship and I didn't spend a lot of time at home. And I I was so lucky to have really supportive friends growing up and their families took me in as their kid almost. And um, two of them, two of my closest friends were Italian and one was Filipino. And I grew up eating in their homes, too. And that's really where I learned mm. about the beauty of a home-cooked meal and eating dinner around a table and the conversation that would happen among family members and, you know, like – casseroles and like things that I didn't, you know, I didn't ever really experience except for at holidays when I would go to my grandparents' Mm -hmm. house for meals. You know, my mom, she could cook if she put her mind to it, but food, she didn't have a great relationship with food and it wasn't a priority for her. And, 
you know, it just it just wasn't what was important. And, um, you know, I ate my first pesto and my first <laughs> chunk of real Parmigiano-Reggiano cheese. And I used to cut school with my girlfriend to, like, go fry egg rolls at her house for lunch. And, you know, it was just – it was um, – really special. And then Mm -hmm. when I was in college, I started cooking. So let's go to that point in your career. So you went to college, you went to culinary school, and then you ended up landing at Cook's Illustrated. I want to get to that point because Cook's Illustrated, famously a very intense place to work, a very intense, you know, rigorous um, publication. Uh, I'm sure many of you subscribe or or, or are familiar. I'd like to hear about your interview process for Cook's Illustrated because I feel Cook's Illustrated is not your typical food publication interview. No, it wasn't. <laughs> um, so at the time when I heard about the job, I mean, I saw a posting like in a newspaper or magazine print. or something in print, <laughs> yeah. right? Old days. Love it. It was in 1999. And at the time I was an assistant pastry chef at Number 9 Park, which was mm-hmm. Barbara Lynch's and still is Barbara Lynch's restaurant in Boston. And um, at that time I knew I missed writing. So when I when I graduated college, I was an editor for a short time in a magazine, but I loved food. So I mm-hmm. loved to go to culinary school and then worked in restaurants, but then I loved writing and like how do I make these two things fit together? And it was both I mean, as Sever had just relaunched, I think, in, in the mid nineties. And um, you know, I was just kind of putting the idea together of, oh, I could be a, a writer who writes about food but who also cooks and this could be a thing. And Cooks was looking for uh, an editor, and I applied for the job and miraculously got an interview, which, I mean, like, you know, I didn't know anyone mm-hmm. there. Um, and I went in, and, you know, I met with, at the time, there were only, I think there were nine people on staff. It was before wow. America's Test Kitchen launched. Or, no, they had just filmed the first episode, I think. In, in well, Actually, when I started, they had— Heady started. times for those yeah. guys, yeah. Yeah, so I interviewed with, you know, a bunch of editors, and I mean, three editors, and the Test Kitchen director and the two Test Kitchen assistants. Mm. Um, and, and then I was asked to—the um, final test was to test a recipe, develop a recipe, test it, and write it as a cook's article. So and and the recipe was tuna noodle casserole. Like they picked the hardest, weirdest. Like how do you make a great tuna? Noodle? I mean, it's so nostalgic and yeah. delicious to many of us. But there's but, so many directions you could go with a tuna noodle casserole, right? Yeah, and I yeah. went in every direction. Like you know, dissecting. Okay, what is the base? What kind of tuna? And then you break it down. Yeah. And what kind of what's in the filling? And break it down. And what is the noodle? And what is the topping? And in the baking dish or in the, the and I did like every permutation. Can I interrupt and ask you, yeah. Ritz crackers? Do they play a role in tuna noodle casserole for you? In mine, it was chips. It was chips. potato chips. Is the yeah. crunch? Okay, I grew up in the Midwest, you know. Yeah, Ritz is definitely more of a patrician uh, <laughs> uh, snack food to add to it. <laughs> to a tuna noodle casserole, I grew up in the Midwest too. Respect. Yeah. So continue. I'm sorry. Yeah. So, um, and and I think did I have to bring it in? I don't even remember. Um, but I do remember one of my last interviews, I was talking with, um, John Willoughby, Doc Willoughby, who yeah. went on to be an editor at Gourmet. Gourmet, yeah. And, um, we were, he's so nice and so supportive. And we were talking, he was like, you did a really good job on your tuna noodle casserole story. And I was like, wow. Wow. <laughs> and, um, and then I got the job and I started and it was, um, you know, it was like, if, if culinary school gives you, you know, the very basics of how to cook and working in a restaurant, you know, gives you a taste of how to be adaptable and how to think on your feet and how to, you know, cook under stress, 
then being at Cook's was like getting a master's degree. And understanding and really understanding how to build a recipe and how to evaluate a recipe and look at it and understand it and uh, research a recipe. Which is why you're such a good line editor for recipes. And and I didn't know this about you, about the interview process, so it just all makes sense. Tell me a little bit about the the work you're doing at Cook's Illustrated. Is there Was there a... Uh, a, a zone or a lane that you f- you fell in in terms of the recipes you were developing, um, and what were edit meetings like over there? Oh my gosh! So, oh, where to begin? I know. <laughs> okay, so um, I began at Cooks by you know writing smaller pieces. I mean, I was how old was I? I don't know. Maybe I was like twenty four or twenty or something like that and you know I, I did maybe some salads and then I think my first big story was a Dutch apple pie mm. and you know there's always like the discovery moment and you know sometimes you would spend three months working on one recipe because um, you would have to test every single angle and the amount of food we ate in a day and tasted in a day was obscene it was just like it, it was Crazy. Three months and how many hours a week devoted to that recipe? Like ten hours a week? Or is it like I mean probably this... more because wow. you would have to you would test it, you would write your results, you would discuss them with the test kitchen director who was Kay Rentschler, who is now the the wife of Glenn Roberts from um Gri- from, uh, 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 Anson Mills. Anson Mills, yeah. yeah. Um and you know, so I would talk about the results with Kay. You know, we would we'd sit and like talk and everyone would taste and you know, we're all friends and it was all, it was fun, you know, it was really yeah. fun. And and we would like, we would just geek out about like yeah. the weird little things and how could we, how could we tweak it to make it better? How do we, you know, how do we, how do we find something special to write about? Uh, even when I, after I, I was at Cook's only for two years, but even after I left, I did a couple freelance articles for them, which is really rare. They never go with freelance mm-hmm. people. And I remember I was working on a pasta as, as a recchiette with um, broccoli rob, and that was the recipe I was assigned to write. And I cooked at least 40 pounds of broccoli <laughs> rob, and I got my entire apartment building hooked on it because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's can be bitter at first, but it's, if you love broccoli rob, yep. like, it's kind of an acquired taste. It's kind of addictive, I think. And um, everyone from, like, our babysitters to our next-door neighbors <laughs> to, like, the UPS guy, <laughs> anyone I could pawn food off on. You'd give them a little Tupperware? Yeah, give them a little Tupperware of Broccoli Rob. Um, but, yeah, the so we would, you know, we would go through the testing process, testing every every angle, and then you would write your story, and then you would post it on our internal server. So this is in 2000 to 2002, right? And then... It was like the wolves arrived (laughs) and your story would get ripped to pieces by everyone. And it was kind of your goal when you read a story to pick out every fault you could find, everything. And, um, you know, some of the comments could be really harsh. Like, this is a dumb idea. Why did you do this? Or why didn't you try this? Like, they could be like there there were the moments where sometimes people would cry. Yeah. It was intense, um, but I think it was in a really important process because now, you know, when I develop recipes, I still do some development occasionally, and when I develop recipes, I will never not have Chris Kimball's voice in my head. You know, we, we sounds like PTSD to me. Just saying, you know, but but <laughs> sorry, in a. It was, I mean, it was hard, but sometimes you have to go through hard things to yeah. become better. And, and Respect that. you know, sometimes, sometimes, you know, tough love isn't a bad thing. And I, and I think I'm a better writer and recipe developer for it for, and, you know, like my goal became, I don't, I don't, 
I don't want him to ever say this about it again, or I don't, mm-hmm. I don't ever want to hear this comment. Or my goal is to see how little he has to comment on my, yeah. on my story. Or and it wasn't all Chris. I mean, there were other, you know, obviously there was other editors too. And but and we were hard on each other so that it could be the best it could possibly be for our readers. Yeah. And that's why the recipes are so good and why they work. Iconic recipes that created. I have to ask you about tuna noodle casserole. Is there yeah. one thing to take away from that recipe that you developed? Was there like that our listeners can remember about uh, tuna noodle casserole? Don't bother with buying fresh good tuna. <laughs> it's great. I, I love that because I'm thinking, is it like spun with like like fresh like or frozen fresh tuna or you have to use industrial star kiss? Yeah, I think I ended up, I mean, I think at the end I did just use canned tuna. I I mean, I think that's what my winner was. I don't even remember. This is going back yeah. 23 years. <laughs> well, I want to segue to you ended up uh, becoming, after Cooks Illustrated, a, a prolific uh, cookbook collaborator. You call yourself a writer. I'm like, you're prolific. You've done 20 cookbooks. Is that about right? I think 18, there's a 20? few more. If you count the few ones more. that okay. I wrote. That yeah. I wrote, and then there were some that I wrote that you know I kind of ghost wrote. So I think I, yeah. I think it's like around 24, 20, 25, something 25. like that. So twenty five cookbooks you've done. You've worked with um, a variety of of, of character, cast and characters. Uri Sheft, Zach Post, and the designer Sadella Marley. You wrote a book about cooking with cannabis and and flour. Like years. I mean, that book was yeah. like way too early. Yeah, it was ahead of its time. Way early. My question. So I'd like to hear how do you pick your projects? Like when you were a collaborator. Um, you know, it was, I mean, for me, when I was writing cookbooks, um, I mean, in all honesty, when I started as a cookbook writer, I was married. And when I finished, I was divorced. And, Mm. you know, it was always my source of income. So sometimes I didn't, I didn't get to be choosy, you Mm -hmm. know, I, I needed to make income. And, you know, someone once told me, um, in life, there's some projects you take for money, there's some projects you take for satisfaction, and there's some projects that, you know, are a little bit of both. And that's kind of where I ended up with my work. Like, there were definitely some books that I wrote to get a paycheck. Yeah. And there were definitely some books that I wrote where I barely got paid, but it was such a satisfying experience. Like, um, I wrote a great book about, it's called Preserving Wild Foods. It's one of my f- favorite books that I've ever written. I wrote it with Matt Weingarten, who at the time was at this crazy restaurant in a church on the east side, <laughs> Midtown. Um, mm. And then he went on to work at Dig In, and he was making, and that also was a book ahead of its time, and he was making homemade mustards and curing his own, you know, lamb prosciutto and you know we made like a maple blueberry preserve by putting the maples and blueberry in a in a bell jar and putting it a ball jar and putting it on the on the windowsill and then you just turn it every like in the sun like really I'm cool into that recipes cool. and it's a great book and you know it was it was small and mm-hmm. didn't sell a ton but one of my most favorite experiences and all the photos were shot on an iPhone and I think I I had never heard of that before and wow yeah, it was it was really um, it, was a, it was a great experience. So so um, other books. I mean, I loved working with Zach Posen. He is a real cook. Like mm-hmm. he, um, you know, he we cook together side by side every single one of the recipes in that book. And um, he, 
super kind and I got to meet his parents and you know it was like really it was cool. a really special um, experience and my my younger son Reese still talks about eating Zach's blueberry pie <laughs> it's the best blueberry pie he oh. ever had <laughs> you wouldn't expect Zach Posen to be much of a cook I mean just because of the career choice but it makes sense he's probably very exact and very precise about the way he handles himself in the kitchen and and like anyone who loves to cook he just loves the process and yeah. he loves making people happy and um, you know he loves uh, Japanese food and culture and he cooks a lot of Japanese foods at home and a lot of Japanese uh, style stews and um, you know it's it's uh, he has a he relaxes through food and finds creativity yeah. through it and he loves to host and entertain um, so it was all it was all a part of that. Was there a, uh, like one that got away? Was there a book that you wish you would have written? Because like now you 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 may have time. We haven't talked about it, but you probably don't have a lot of time to write books right yeah. now. Um, editing so many, we'll get into that. Was there like a book that you like were up for that maybe? Oh, there have been so many that you didn't get, <laughs> or or now that there's been time and space between, maybe you can say who it is or. Or is there somebody you wish you would have collaborated with? Uh, I mean, there's always there's always <laughs> books that you you know like gigs that you had wish you know you yeah. could have gotten or been interviewed for considered for. Um, but I think the one that comes to mind, which is really funny, because it was one of the last books that I wrote. So you mentioned Uri Sheft. Yeah. So um, he you know used to be the the chef and creative partner of Bread's Bakery, and he best popcorn the planet yeah, easily. Um, he's not involved with Bread's in the states anymore, but yeah. he still has La Chamim in. Tel Aviv. Mm -hmm. And um, when I interviewed for that project, uh, it was an artisan book. Um, I was also interviewing, I, I got a call from Frances Lamb to meet uh, a model who wants to write a cookbook and her name was Chrissy Teigen. And yeah. um, obviously Adina Sussman was also up for the good job. Good friend of who, yours, good friend good of friend ours. Of mine. Yeah, so mine. it was funny. So I met Frances and Chrissy for um, breakfast at Jack's Wife Frida and we had a great conversation, but I was also talking to Uri about his book and, um, you know, my dad had just passed away like maybe a year before mm -hmm. and talking to Ori like he has these big blue eyes and his his accent and his voice and like he he wore t-shirts just like my dad used to wear mm. and it was like it was it just like pulled at my heart and you know it was just it became like a special special you know project that I, I wanted to be involved with so I told Francis I was like you know I had such a great time meeting Chrissy and everything but I think I'm going to commit to this other project and I don't think I can do both and um, I just want to let you know so I think that I could have never have written the book that Adina helped Chrissy write because mm -hmm. Adina, you know, literally moved in, yeah. you know, and, and and got so close with the family and I would not. Have, so it's almost like it would have been a really fun project to work on. But I'm glad I'm glad how it all played out, because I think that Adina did a beautiful job on the book and did something I could never could have. And I got to work with Ori. And you get to work with Ori. And that book is great. I love the Bread's book. book. It's a beautiful book. And it's a book that's a classic. You consider them classics, you know, books yeah. that you can pull off the shelf. It doesn't matter if the restaurant's open or closed. It's like has recipes, has stories that reflect a time and period. I love that book so much. I, I still I have it in my, my collection. Uh, and, you know, Chrissy, it, it leads to your job now because you ended up uh, leaving the, the writing world and became mm -hmm. an editor here at Clarkson Potter. I'm an author at Clarkson Potter as well and worked with Francis on Koreatown. We're working on another book, which is I've mentioned before, and I love Clarkson Potter. I have to disclose that because <laughs> it, I'm, a pub I'm published by them, but it's truly m my favorite place. And you're, you're the heart of it in your small team. So I want to know, um, like, in your in your career here, 
Um, are there book projects? And we'll talk about the ones coming up. But mm-hmm. I want to hear like about the last five years because there's been so many. I mean, you're so modest about what you've worked on. You've worked on some of the most iconic award-winning books in cookbooks. But have there been favorite books? It's a terrible question, but I have to. <laughs> I have yeah, to set it up. Yeah, it's kind of like asking if you have a favorite kid, right? Yes. It's like, of course, every mom does, but would never say. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think there's books that are, I mean, every every book I work on, you know, it's interesting because when you ask me how you choose, a pro- how I used to choose projects as a freelancer and, and you know, I wasn't in a position where I could be very choosy. Um, now, as an editor, I am in a position where I can be choosy. And I think that I don't go after books that I don't feel strongly about. For some reason, and I think that the authors I like to work with are uh, people who have something to say that I haven't seen anyone else say, mm-hmm. haven't read before. Sometimes they don't know what they want. I mean, they have a clear idea of who they are and what their cooking style is, and there's just something like special, you know. And, and as a Midwesterner, you know, we're kind people. <laughs> and I like to work with kind authors. And I like to work with, um, you know, I like to collaborate just from my background as a writer. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I mean, there have been so many books that have been really special. Working with Rodney Scott was really mm-hmm. wonderful. He is like this beautiful gem of a human. And his writer, his author and co-conspirator, <laughs> Lois, um, who, you know, is a, is a prolific award-winning writer for TV, TV and, and, and yeah. yeah, in print, um, working with both of them and creating, helping them create their book and, you know, giving the, them the space they needed to, you know, it was the first time Rodney really told his story and then, and then to see it on film for the Netflix, uh, Chef's Table episode, mm-hmm. like that was all, it was really powerful and that felt really good. And and that book just came together so beautifully, and it came out in a really in a, in a perfect moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, and I got to meet Rod. You know, before was it before we bought the book, or I think maybe right after we bought the book, I went down to Charleston and I got mm-hmm. to hang out with him a little bit, and that was really awesome. Um, what other books that I mean, of course, Claire Claire Saffitz, yeah. Um, and gosh, everyone, Rick and and Martinez and Eric Kim and. Um, there's so many and, and, uh, oh gosh, there's just so many, there's so many special people, um, who are on the Potter list and, and it's hard, you know, like I'm, I'm thinking about all the ones who like, I just came down from my office, like all the books that I'm seeing in my head. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we can get into that because we're, we're recording this in July and and you're starting to get, uh, you know, your copies, the editor and author copies of, of some of the big fall books that you worked on. And I, I, I love, thank you for sharing that by the way, about, about working with the the authors. It's obvious and you speak to people in the industry, you, you really do connect with your authors. And I I love to hear the way that you kind of process the, Mm -hmm. the collaboration between editor and writer. Very special, but you—I I got a, a sneak peek at um, Justice of, of the Pies. It was just like sitting there, and I'm like paging through it. My God, what a beautiful book! Yeah, yeah. Maya Camille Broussard is a pretty special and incredible person. She um, has a bakery. Well, she she has a pie company in Chicago um, called Justice of the Pies. And um, she creates these incredibly creative and beautiful um, pies, both sweet and savory. And, you know, she— so she's In Chicago. On, in Chicago. Yeah. She's about to—she just broke ground on a brick and mortar, um, which is going to be in the neighborhood where she grew up on, I think, in Chicago's south side. Um, she's just 
you know, the, there's certain authors who are so deeply entrenched in their book and involved in in every facet is, um, you know, every every facet of the experience is important. And Maya Camille is one of those authors. You know, Claire's another, and Ina Garten's another. Like like authors who. You know, the color of their end papers, the size of their headnotes, like the the down to like these little these small details, which when I was writing books, like I was like end papers, sure, let the designer decide. Like yeah. I wasn't like I'm like I'll, I'll deal with the words, but when it mm-hmm. comes to everything else, like I'm I'm putting this in. And some authors are like that, and that's great. You know, that's, yeah, it'll give makes your job a little easier. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, and that's fine because we we work with the most amazing art and design team. Mm-hmm. Um, who work on our books and, and make them special and unique and beautiful. Um, but yeah, Maya Camille, like she, she was just, I don't know. She recently posted, I sent her. So we get, so the way it works is like the books get printed, um, somewhere far, far away Mm -hmm. and arrive by boat Mm -hmm. over a very long time. But, uh, we always get a couple sent by air, Mm -hmm. um, in advance. And so even though Maya Camille's book doesn't come out until the fall, um, it's now, I mean, I got her advance in maybe mid June mm. and she just posted a reel, um, of her opening it and just like seeing her face and her smile and, you know, I was texting her. I'm like, did you get it yet? Mm-hmm. And like, it's just, it's just such an exciting moment to see an author open their book for the it's, first time. It's, 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 it's the best. It's the best. And, yeah. um, you mentioned Ina because like Ina, I mean, there's an Ina book coming out in the fall. It's going to be a big one, go to dinners. And uh-huh. so you are one of, you're Ina's editor and she has a massive team that she works with. So I have to ask like from the jump, I don't want to be corny about this, but like it, what it, what is Ina really like? What is Ina really like? <laughs> um, Ina is everything you imagine her to be. Like I was told I was going to be working with Ina Garten. I was like, <laughs> what do I do? Like just put a gold star on it? Like I, I'm yeah. like, you know, she she works with a, a team of people who are amazing. She is so thoughtful and great at what she does. Um and and she comes into the office. I mean, you know, when in now in post-COVID mm-hmm. times it's a little bit different, but actually she was in the office recently working with our creative director and she would come into the office all the time. Oh, like, I had her cookies before. Yeah. I've had them. Yeah. I've tasted them. Oh, my gosh. I was, so I went to her house for lunch once, and um, she actually, we ate the, it was before Modern Comfort Food came out, but we ate for lunch the grilled cheese and the tomato soup she was working on oh, for Modern Comfort before we had that cover figured out. So it was kind of cool that that became the cover. Um, and she had baked some cookies that were going to be in the book. I think they were like, she was working on a recipe, I think. She ended up changing them from what she served. I think they're like oatmeal chocolate chip or something. And she gave me some in a Ziploc bag to bring <laughs> to my boys. And oh. I and I sat my boys down. And I was like, I'm about to give you something very special. <laughs> you may want to eat it. You may just want to put it on your bookshelf and hold it for a very long time. And I, I was like, it. this is a cookie that was made by Ina Garten. Not just an Ina Garten recipe, but these like were from her house on a baking sheet. Like she made this dough. Of course, they had no idea. Like, whatever. I just want to eat the cookie. But I was like, you have to understand. This is really special. I, I mean, uh, she, she's, she seems like just the the re- a real person. Like she's a very real. She is. Yeah. And she cares very deeply about her recipes and, yes. you know, is, is this the best there. version 
of what she can give to her fans and her readers. And, you know, she's cooking every day all the time. She's cooking. All, she's a real, like, fan of food. She's not yeah, just um, doing yeah. it for the cameras. So what is um, the new book? What's it What's it all about? What are we looking, what are we looking so, at? So, yeah, Go To Dinners. Um, it's really fun. And Ina does some really fresh stuff in it, which yeah. is kind of cool. Like, she has some boards. And mm-hmm. she, um, she has, you know, some recipes that can be used to make leftovers. Uh, I mean, she, well, first of all, disclaimer. Ina doesn't like leftovers, but if she has something remaining from an earlier dish, she'll turn it into something else. And this book really came about from from COVID and quarantine and cooking with what you have and making things – kind of redefining dinner in some ways, making it less stressful – you know, when you have people over, making it more about visiting with people than stressing out about a meal. And, you know, there's like the pigs in a blanket kind of, you know, like the hot dogs and puff pastry. There's, you know, of course, lots of soups and chicken mm-hmm. dishes and decadent, you know, chocolate creations and, you know, all the stuff. I mean, I don't know. Ina's book, to me, it's always like, oh, this is everything I want to eat. You know? It's always extremely uh, positive, like when you read it. Like, you're like, this is delicious. It's like um, a hug. I mean, it's, it's a real hug. Comfort. <laughs> I have to agree with her, too, by the way. I, I'm not a huge fan of leftovers either, but I love the idea of using leftover ingredients, yes. like things yeah. that you may have bought for a dinner right. party that you have extras of I'm I'm all about that one more book and one more author is Claire Saffitz because you know her first book her debut was massive like it was a big cultural moment I mean it was uh, I mean Claire was a, a huge like you know, food internet celebrity at the time, but the book sent her apart because mm-hmm. she created this amazing universe within the pages. It was like real, like technical cooking or mm-hmm. sorry, baking. Um, and, you know, it really uh, it proved that she had the chops. She wasn't just doing like um, Rolos, you know, right, whatever right, the stuff right. she was doing. Um, so how do you follow it up? Like, that's the question. Like, how do you follow up such a big moment with a new book? And I've seen it. It's dope. I love the book. I don't want to spoil any surprise. <laughs> I love the book. Oh, well, thank you. And I'm sure Claire would thank you, too. Yeah. And I don't want to steal any of her thunder because the no. book hasn't come out yet. Yeah. And I'm sure she's she'll probably be here to talk she will. about we'll it as well. We'll have her on the podcast, absolutely. Um, yep, yep. I think what makes What's for Dessert special and different is that Claire broadened her scope of what can be dessert. So there's, you know, like icebox cakes. There's this tiramisu icebox cake that's, like, crazy. And... Oh my gosh, she has this. That's so smart. Yeah. Wow. Like, like I love just, that. it's like smart, smart. It's yeah. the best way to describe Double smart. Claire. Yeah. Like, she is so smart and, and so um, purposeful in every step, ingredient, and direction that she, yeah. she gives. Whereas, dessert person, you know, Claire likes to say, was all baking, but not necessarily all dessert. Like there's a clam pizza in dessert mm-hmm, person. Mm-hmm. Um, in what's for dessert is all dessert, but not necessarily all baking. So you know, there's the frozen frozen desserts. There's mm-hmm. um, stovetop. There's there's some sundays. There's some bombs. Mm-hmm. There's um, you know, and and I think the the photography and the art program is really unique and cool. Yeah, um, the gorgeous photos. And I think I, I overuse the word smart. I think it's savvy. She's like a savvy recipe writer. I think it's... She's it's, she's a real cook's cook. Yeah, like she, yeah. you know, she gets into the weeds and tests all the angles and, you know, stresses every detail. Yeah. And, um, you know, she, she wants to really set people up for, for success and... Um, she also doesn't shy away from telling people like, "Hey, this is this is not the easiest recipe. 
Like this one might take you a couple times mm-hmm. to get right, mm-hmm. you know. I love that, being open about that. Yeah. One more book I forgot to mention is uh, The Walks of Life because I, I think this is something if anyone has been um, on online and trying to, you know, cook Chinese cuisine, um, you've encountered the walks of yeah. life. You've encountered the newsletter or a, a recipe via SEO, via search. Uh-huh. But you are writing, uh, you're publishing the book that they're, they've written, The Family um, of the Walks of Life. But let's get into this very special project because yeah. I, I love it. I love this book. I've gotten a, a copy as well on PDF and it's amazing. It's quite literally like I can't talk about this book or think about it without becoming hungry. <laughs> it's I think it's impossible. Yeah. And I think it's because, you know, Chinese food is such nostalgia food. Chinese food is special. It's like it holds a special place in our hearts, I think, as, as Americans and in this country. And, um, you know, you, I don't think you can go to any city, small city or big city without, you know, encountering at least a couple Chinese restaurants. And of course, you know, um, people come from different, you know, Chinese immigrants come from all over the country and there's different styles to the food. And um, you have your favorite take of, you know, this or that. And, um, you know, in the walks of life, I think the lungs do just the most magnificent job of uh, being representative and in, in, in bringing Chinese food to home cooks in a way that is very genuine and I don't know I just keep I feel like I keep saying thoughtful 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 but they're also just these incredibly thoughtful authors mm-hmm. um, well they've been doing it for so long as a digital yeah. publication as a newsletter and a website so it's not just a, a first-time author first-time writer I mean they have such a long history of creating yeah um, I mean everything from buying a walk to I mean tempering to I feel like they are, are feathering I mean I feel like I've, I've, I've yeah. gotten I've gotten um, into their universe so many different times yeah. so many different ways while writing recipes or editing recipes myself I use it as a resource yeah yeah their their recipes are are spot on again they they you know make they test the recipes to yeah. the nth degree and it was fun you know when they were shooting so they shot their own book too they shoot all their cool. own photography for the website and they shot their book and I went out to their house uh, for a day of the shoot last summer, which was so fun. And I ate so much mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was great. Cause like I could experience, you know, it's so Bill and Judy, mom and dad, um, Caitlin and Sarah, the two daughters and, and they argue about food <laughs> and about the photos and about mom, don't do that. And about, no, it should be this way. And dad, I roll. And like, it's so awesome. It's like, they have this great family dynamic and, um, you know, they each bring something different and special to the book. Um, you know, Judy, uh, she brings, you know, more traditional, uh, you know, she veer, her recipes like are, are more in the traditional sense and, you know, culturally uh, connecting, you know, linking the dots between America and China. Um, whereas, you know, Caitlin and Sarah are all about like more plant-based or, you know, maybe an Instant Pot or, you know, a quick and easy like weeknight lo mein. Mm-hmm. And, and then their dad, Bill, you know, he grew up in the Hudson Valley and uh, his family had a Chinese restaurant and he cooked there and worked there. And so did so did Judy. And um and, you know, he specializes almost in the more like the Chinese restaurant classic mm-hmm. dishes that we all know and love. And Americanized Chinese. Yeah, yeah. 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 And the, yeah. the combination of it all is um, it's just really fun. And yeah. it's, it's like you said, there's a lot of ways in. 
Yeah, it's a great book, and and we'll hopefully have the lungs on the podcast, or we'll have them on the Monday interview on Taste. Okay, Raquel, deep breath. Okay. We ask all guests in the Taste podcast, if there's a dream cookbook project you could work on without the burden of time, meaning you have no deadline or budget, <laughs> meaning that there yeah. is no P&L for this book to use right. a little industry. Everyone knows the P&L. It's like a, a balance sheet. There's no budget. There's no money. It could be yeah. any. It could be a million dollars. It could be a billion dollars. Raquel, what would that book be? Oh, there's so many books. How can I? I can't tough, choose tough one. Tough one for you. Tough one, but, but please answer it. <laughs> okay. So um, can I have two answers? Yes, oh, you two can. Two quick answers. Yes, you okay. can. Yes, okay. You can. So my my one my one answer as as an editor for Potter is um, I've always wanted to do a big, big, gorgeous, beautiful coffee table book about Jamaica. Jamaica is a really special place to me for mm-hmm. a lot of different reasons. Um, I, there's a lot of great, uh, Caribbean cookbooks, West Indian cookbooks. Um, but I, there aren't many about Jamaica that also celebrate the beauty of this place and the people and, and written by someone who is Jamaican. And that to me would be something really, really, really special to write, uh, to write, to, to edit. To edit and acquire. And, yeah. I mean, Agents. I thought about writing this book too. Yeah. Um, Agents, are you listening? Please yeah. bring that idea. Please bring, please bring me Jamaica. Um, and then, and then my second idea. And, for you to write. This would be for me mm-hmm. to write. Um, I would love, oh my gosh, just to like rent houses all over the world and have friends and cook with them and just write a book based on that. That's Duh. the best, you know, no. like, like, yeah, you know, I love cooking with friends and, and, you know, having people over and talking while you cook and mm-hmm. eating as you cook and casual meals and long tables and twilight and all the mm-hmm. wine and good stuff that comes with it. Yeah. I love that idea. I yeah. feel like you could do it. Um, you'll, you'll get there. I think eventually you'll, you'll have that Airbnb promo code where you get right? like unlimited <laughs> Airbnbs. Yeah. No, I love it. And, and let me just follow up with that idea. Cause I, I, I want to know, is there a, is there a country that you want to, you want to cook with, with oh. some friends? Get There's a house. so many. I yeah, mean, right? we're stuck in the office. It's like July. It's like I everyone's know, in Paris. I know. I mean, I think it'd be everywhere from like upstate New York and all the beautiful farms to, you know, oh, how amazing would it be? Like my my I have family. Um, I did one of those like DNA family things for uh, for Christmas with mm-hmm. my with my son, and you know, so I'm I'm part Scandinavian. So gosh, like yeah, let's go in Norway and the nor- north and mm-hmm. do something crazy there and. You know, and and I also discovered I'm like you know point half percent potentially Indian or Pakistani, mm-hmm. which I think is very cool because I have a deep love for yeah. <laughs> uh, cuisine. Um, yeah, house in India, and obviously I you have know, family in Israel. I mean, I would just you yeah. know, sounds like a Brazil, nice itinerary. Yeah, like, I I don't know every country. Love it, <laughs> Raquel Pelzel. Thank you for joining the Taste Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. The Taste Podcast is hosted by me, Matt Rodbard. It's produced by Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumber. Theme music by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste Online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter. Thanks for listening. <laughs>